0: Hi, this is Matt Welsh of Spiritual Media Blog, and today I'm going to be interviewing Jerry Winstrom. Jerry has led quite an interesting life. In his 20s, he was a rising star in the art world of New York, but at the age of 29, he made a decision to destroy his art and spend the next 10 years wandering and listening and really just trusting that the grace of God, the universe, his spirit, would really guide him to wherever he needed to go. And he wrote about it in a book called The Inspired Heart, which I read and really enjoyed and got a lot out of. And uh, it's available at thehandsofalchemy.com. But right now, to start off, we have Jerry on the line with us. And I'm just kind of curious, Jerry, what prompted your decision initially to uh, destroy your art and start your journey? Creativity.
1: Creativity. And whatever we do, I think we all tap into some form of creativity, whether we're raising children or doing art or creating a business. And what you find is that the creative spirit demands more and more of us. And I feel like at that time, being in the confines of the studio situation, which was a kind of safe environment to explore and and do what I did as an artist, I feel I reached the limit of that as a venue in a certain way, and I got to the place where art no longer served me in the way that it had. I felt like inspiration was demanding something more of me. At some level, I felt like I really had mastered the smallness of that studio world, and it was at that point that I felt something was stirring, and I just wasn't sure where life was taking me, and I stopped painting for the first time for a month. And I did nothing but fasted, and I read A Course in Miracles, and I just really took the books in. I really gave myself to it. And it was after a month, it became very clear to me that I could keep doing what I was doing as an artist, but it felt like a fear based choice. Or I could give myself to what I sensed was that greater calling, that greater inspiration which was to let it all go and, in a certain sense, become the inspiration that I was dabbling in in the studio. And on the strength of that intuitive sense, and that's all it was because it promised nothing. I mean, it was a ridiculous thing to do to let go of the physicality of it as an artist, especially since it was such a complete identity for me. I had an enormous body of work, but on the strength of that, just intuitive sense that this is the greater moment of creativity. If I could give myself to it, I destroyed the work and I gave everything I owned away and I lived for the next 15 years without making money or even hardly touching money.
0: I think that everybody, and I know myself included, we all get those, those callings, those intuitive senses. And in some sense, they're, um, they can be easy and exciting to follow. For example, maybe we have an idea to start a business or reconnect with a family member or a friend. But for you, it was a pretty dramatic change in your life. Did you ever question that that intuition or that calling? And think to yourself, like I sometimes struggle with too, is just trusting that intuition, that calling. And did you ever have any doubts? I mean, How do you know for certain that you can trust in that voice, especially when it feels like you're changing your lifestyle so dramatically?
1: Yes. Well, in most instances when we make decisions, it really doesn't matter a whole lot what we're deciding on. It feels like it does, and we often worry more than we need to. But there are just these pivotal transformational moments. A Course in Miracles calls it a choiceless choice. We come up against a place where everything has come of age, everything we thought we were, everything we thought we were doing, our identity as a human being on the planet. All of the best that we thought we were as an ego, as a, a will, as an intelligence comes up against this place, and to use my favorite quote by Yogananda, to set out on any holy purpose and to die along the way is to succeed. We come up against a kind of place of metaphoric death where it doesn't feel necessarily like a choice. It doesn't feel like we have the kind of luxury to even entertain doubt. I mean, I think at those moments, doubt becomes more of an obstacle where it just sort of disempowers the moment and you know you just can't go there. So it just simply is not a luxury of possibility. We all come up against moments like that and that's how it was for me. It it wasn't as easy to go against what I sensed was the greater calling.
0: Did you have any expectations like as far as how long you're going to be doing this, what you're going to get from this? Or did you have any hopes or expectations or desires like if I do this, this will happen, I'll grow, I'll meet this person? Did you have any sort of expectations about what might happen?
1: Only at an intuitive level. I mean, reasonably speaking, it made absolutely no sense. Art in the late 70s was God in New York. And to go against the place where everyone agreed that this is the thing to be doing as a young artist at that time, it didn't make that kind of sense. So in terms of what I expected, I I love what Yogananda said. And it's pretty outrageous for him to have said this, but there's a level of truth to it. And it was a kind of metaphoric death, and I'm not comparing it to the Christ story, but Yogananda says about Christ, he says, personally, I don't think he would have walked into his death if he didn't know he was going to be saved. At some level, it felt like the most creative of all possibilities, although reasonably, it promised nothing. It looked like nothing. It felt like nothing. I mean, it really was a kind of metaphoric death because it was the death of everything I thought was me, you know, my identity, everything. Well, It was a sense of something greater.
0: I guess from what I'm hearing, it was a sense that you really would be connected on a spiritual level much greater than you'd ever been before. You, You would have a connection with the grace of God, the universe, your spirit however you wanted to find it, at a much greater level. Is that a fair understanding?
1: It is. And also in terms of art, I felt like it was a leap into the most sublime, formless expression that I could possibly give myself to. I mean, and there was the element of me as artist. I think it felt more like becoming the inspiration, where it wasn't just contained in a work of art or in the safety of the studio, it would become a way of life so that, you know, that connection that you speak of would be there. You know, you no longer have to go out there like a beggar trying to get your moment of inspiration, but you would be at one with the process. That's what it felt most like to me, and it proved to be true. I mean, it proved to be the most important thing I've ever done with my life. And the defining moment of that decision, of that leap into the void, was... At the time, there was a film being made about my life and art. In the middle of it is when I did all of this. And when the film crew came, the art was all gone, and they were just shocked. I mean, they had invested a lot of time and money into this film, and it was about my art. So now, you know, what is it all about? But I felt so inspired by what I had done that I was able to talk about it, and they filmed that and decided to include that in, into the film, which, in fact, gave the film its power, you know, to have that kind of grand finale at the end, which was completely unexpected by everyone, certainly me. And when the film was shown, I really felt like it was the most powerful night of my life. I felt all of the energy and love and attention that went into that those works of art I feel like I became that evening, and I think that was what I was looking for. It was a complete experience of being the inspiration rather than doing it or having it expressed as a work of art or a, something literal. It was a way of being, and that way of being has carried my life to this point. And incidentally, I became more known as an artist for, for destroying my art than for creating it. I
0: thought that was just one of the most inspiring things about your story from what I read. It's just a complete commitment to um, just be in that state of being and trust. And, again, I think it's something that everybody tries to shoot for. For me, at least, there's always sort of maybe like a lingering fear like, okay, is the world going to provide for me? And I guess maybe in your circumstance, I mean, how did you go about the basic necessities uh, of life. I mean, how did you get food? How did you get shelter? You were on this journey of spiritual transformation, but at the same time, you still need food and shelter. I mean, how did that come about for you?
1: I was at the place where I needed to know. I mean, what I had given myself to, there was no turning back. There had to be a God of everything or a God of nothing. And if there was a God of nothing, it was all a big waste of time, I felt. And so having given myself to the possibility of that God of everything, I trusted it at all levels. You know, when I didn't have food, I fasted. There were times when I literally walked out into the world, as you have read in the book, when I didn't know where I would end up or where it would go. And, you know, miraculously, I've never spent a single night on the street. There was always something that came through. So how did I do it? I just trusted the God of everything. And as I said, there was no turning back once I had made that leap. Again, it's one of those things where you can say, well, you had the choice to turn back, but you really don't. There are things we jump into that we give ourselves to out of inspiration, not out of fear, but out of inspiration and it's like the inspiration itself demands that we hold the ground and i don't think any of us are capable of like to figure out like how will i live how will i get food and shelter i, I think you know we can't necessarily worry about that stuff once it's there it it will either come or it won't and and that's the stuff that that came when it when it was necessary and when it didn't, you know, because I think we all have ideas about what we think we need or about the way it should come, and, and it almost never does. But when it didn't come the way I thought, there were these amazing lessons and energetic experiences that came out of trusting the fact that I'm I'm hungry at this moment or I don't know where I'm going now. There were these moments that would fall into place that had to, often had to do with other people or other things going on. That would give it a kind of deeper meaning, and that's the stuff that I fed on. That's the stuff that kept me going and kept me inspired and kept me alive. Because as long as we're happy and inspired, you know, it doesn't matter what we have or don't have. I think there's a totality to the human experience where we are a body as well. And if there's a God of everything, then that body will be taken care of, and it has been. And it certainly has been terrifying at times. But there was always something that came through. And also, when I finally fully gave myself to the experience, all of that seems to have fallen into place in a very graceful way. I think a big part of the terror of trusting at that level was fully accepting that what I need would come to me. And it took a long time for me to to give myself so fully to that. I mean, in a way, I gave myself to it by leaping in, but still I was resisting. And the moment, you know, I really completely said, this is my life, is when it all ended. And I, I've had support coming in, in in many ways since that time. But it was so much about the lessons and so little about the material idea of what we think we need
0: you think like one thing you said is that almost the, the act taking action is almost easier sometimes than internally like you mentioned going from a state of resistance to acceptance even though you were still acting upon it i mean how I mean, what sort of advice would you give for somebody if they're willing to take the action but internally they still have this resistance or you mentioned so at times it was a bit terrifying I mean, how would you suggest going from a state of resistance or um, maybe a little fear to a state of acceptance and trust? I mean, I think that was one of the most beautiful aspects of your story is just progression of trusting and, and faith.
1: I mean, we all need to be where we are. I mean, I have many people who come here. You know, that has become my life for the most part is working with people who are in that place. And I think, you know, the bottom line is we have to accept the fact that we are all in the best seat in the house. There's nothing wrong with our lives. We haven't done anything to make them so wrong. And the next step that is inspired will completely give us all that we need. And how we do it, I think we can only do our very best. And it's a very humble process. You know, I think if you think about it, it's more our arrogance and our idea of who we think we are and what we think we should have that stands in the way of of that level of trust. I think it's constant attention to humility and also an asking. We're out there all hustling to get what we want in this world. How often do we really let go and ask? And then be attentive to the response to that asking. Because I think if we're watching in a very subtle way, we'll see that we get what we ask for very often. But we're not doing a lot of asking. We're operating out of fear. We're operating out of insecurity. We're operating out of social ideas of what we were taught by our parents in our school, that we should go out and get a job and feed ourselves and do all the things that we're supposed to do and get rich and live happily ever after. But how many of us are overriding that voice And even having that conversation with the mystery and then responding to it. Because in that is the most direct relationship with inspiration that we can cultivate and develop. And most of us can play in that area. And I think that's what the studio was for me. As intense and driven artist as I was, it still didn't require the courage that it required to let it all go and trust all of my life to that inspiration.
0: Another aspect of your journey that I found to be really interesting um, and inspiring is it wasn't just all internally based. You ran across and met some really interesting people on the way, and some of the people I think, I know they would have tested my ability to trust because it seemed like there were some people maybe living on the fringes of society and potential muggers or a mob, a mob boss maybe even, and you were able to... uh Sort of connect with their humanity, and I was just kind of curious, what was that like? How are you able to see the humanity in them and just sort of also just trust that they wouldn't try to harm you necessarily?
1: Yeah, well, I wasn't trusting in them as much as I was trusting in the perfection of each moment. I mean, situations when I ended up in that were potentially violent, you could see that this is dangerous, and you'd be a fool to think otherwise. And of course, I was very frightened by certain experiences. I almost always was. But the fact is, underneath it all, that's where the conversation would begin. You know, it would be like, okay, God, I don't know what this moment's about. I couldn't see the good in those people. But it was only in giving myself completely to the moment by turning around and walking back into it and following that small, minuscule prompting to trust this moment that i would find the answer it's like jumping into the ocean if you don't know how to swim you're not going to learn until you're in the water so i can't say i went into it seeing the beauty of people i went into it not knowing there's something about the ability to hold unknowing it's also a very alchemical position where unknowing is written into the event of transformation it's one of the moments where You can't know what's going on. You can't know what you're doing. And it's often the most powerful moments when we can hold that unknowing that answers come. And I think all of us would love to have all the answers before we get into a situation. But I think when you're living really one-on-one with the mystery, you have to trust that you don't know until you need to know. And similarly, I'm doing a lot of public speaking these days. I have an event coming up with CEOs of several major corporations. And I know when I do those things, and I've done many of them, I don't even know what I'm going to say until I'm up there and I look out and I feel what's going on in the room. And then I know. And if I prepare, it totally doesn't work. I can't know in advance. And I think the power that's available can only be accessed by making yourself vulnerable enough and hold that unknowing long enough to receive it. And it's terror for most of it. It's still scary for me, but I know it works.
0: Yeah, and I, I just I love that about. I think it's really cool how you say it still is terror for you, but somehow you can you make that choice to go from a place of terror to a place of inspiration and trusting and faith and you think that comes down to asking. No matter what your circumstances, I think everybody's going to be faced with moments of fear and doubt and then do you think it's important to overcome those moments by just asking, saying, like, help me move from a state of fear to a state of inspiration. What do you do? I know you kind of touched upon this earlier but I think it's great. What do you do to move from a state of terror that you mentioned to a state of trust and faith?
1: I just give myself to it. And with helping people, I know I have people come to me who are in great pain. I just got back from New York and was with people who were suffering. And and I know right in the heat of battle, you know, here these people are, you know, pouring out their sorrow, pouring out their pain and the intensity about their confusion and fear. And in the face of that, I literally ask how can I help I mean I literally just go within myself and say I don't know how can I help while I'm looking at him while I'm listening it's almost like I disconnect it's just about being in the moment and maintaining that dialogue with the source with your source whatever it is And you can call it whatever you want to you can call it God you can call it your inner self or the greater knowing whatever you want to call it it doesn't matter what matters is that you are open to that dialogue and that you make yourself vulnerable enough to receive and I think that's where most of us fall short we're afraid to be that kind of vulnerable we're afraid to get ourselves in a position where we're not in control and we don't know you know and again it gets back to that initial leap into the void having done that once the gift of that was creating a friendship with the emptiness itself so in jumping into my worst fear which was a loss of my identity as an artist without a doubt to jump into that and to find Renewal to find such beauty and such inspiration and the ability to survive it against all odds, that has become the template for my way of being in the world. It's like whenever I see that void, even though I'm still shaking in my boots, I know it's the source. I know it's there. I know there's something in it that will give me what I need, even though I don't know what it is or how to get it at that moment. I know it's there. You know, the Christian idea of eternity, until you die and are reborn, you don't experience eternal life. Eternity is the ability to face death over and over again. And it could be the death of, a, like I said, a moment of helping someone. I don't know how to help this person. I don't know what to do. But in that unknowing, in entering that death and trusting it, having done it once, The promise happened there, and so it almost becomes automatic. You know, you have to let the gods know you mean business one good time. And I think the promise of eternity is the promise that whenever you're up against another death, another limitation where all is lost, you can trust it like you did in the beginning. And the promise of a response from the universe will come through at that moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And another question or thought that I was thinking as I was reading your book and finished with it is, again, one of the things that came up was an unconditional trust into inspiration. And it seems like there's almost two trains of thought in like spiritual transformation or motivational literature and books out there today. One seems like go after your dreams and create the life you want. And then there's another line of thinking that says, no, you really should just serve a higher purpose or surrender and give yourself over to a higher purpose. How do you balance or how would you suggest balancing your own personal desires, hopes, dreams versus surrendering or serving a higher purpose?
1: A very good question, because I think there's a tendency on the kind of new age thinking that, you know, you have to be like a boat without a rudder at some level. And I think you have to be fierce about your personal dream. I often said about my life as an artist, if I could have painted my way to heaven, I would have done it because I tried hard enough. And at some level, you have to give it your all. You've got to cultivate your discipline, whatever it is. If you want to be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, you have to become an, you know the best of, that you can be at your discipline. You have to cultivate. You have to work very hard. You have to do everything in your power to be the most conscious, beautiful Person on the planet and you're going to fail and as Yogananda says to die along the way is to succeed It's only when we've done our very very best and we've worked it to the bone that we know we can't do anymore If you haven't done your best It's like, you know, how could you possibly feel good about being at the place where nothing is working because if you're there You're going to feel it's not working because I haven't done. I haven't done very much You know, I sat here surrendered, you know looking at my navel I think there's a ferocity that has to be in place. Um, Ramakrishna tells a story about a man who goes to the guru and says, how do I find God? How do I find God? And he keeps sending away, sending away. Finally, the man you know, annoys him so much that Ramakrishna takes his head and puts it under the water, and the man comes up gasping for air. He says, when you want God as bad as you want air, you will find God. And that's how a dream has to be. You have to want what you want for the good of everything most beautiful. It can't be for stinky little selfish reasons. You have to want what you want with all of your heart and soul and put everything into it. And then you're going to fail and then give yourself even to that failure. And that's where transformation comes in.
0: You would say, if I'm hearing this correctly, like your dreams and your hopes and your desires, those are almost like sacred inspirations in your heart. And you should act upon that calling and go after that. But then after you have done all you can, given it your best and run that to its fruition, then at that point... And along the way, you can also call upon, like, a higher power and surrender and or after you've given it all you've given. Well,
1: and you can't be attached to your efforts. I think when we're attached to our efforts and we start to think we deserve something because of it, and, you know, I I think we can't be attached to the form. Like, for me, I was very attached to my form as an artist, as a painter in the studio with lots of paintings. You know, I was attached to that form. But the, the quest for inspiration took me to a place outside of that. So you yeah. can't be attached to the, the past. It's almost like, well, this is where creation has taken me. What I'm saying is it will take you to territory that you are not familiar with, you don't know about. It's like a quantum leap. You know, your efforts will only get you up to a certain level. It's the level of knowing. And if you stay there, you'll die of boredom because you'll have to dig in. You'll have to give in to your fears and not go any further. But at that place, you're going to have to trust something larger. And that something larger, it jumps over the gap of knowing and takes you to territory that you can't imagine. I never would have imagined that being such a driven artist and creating such a huge body of work and having film made about my art and life, that at the height of that accomplishment, that I would make an about face and give it all up. I never would have imagined that. And I never would have imagined that doing so would be my ultimate expression as an artist and a human being on the planet. But it has been.
0: And you, uh, you're you still making art right now. Like You started making art after your journey, correct?
1: Not for many years. When I gave up art, I thought I would never go back. But I got to the place where it no longer mattered. I wasn't attached to it. I was very good at it. And now I have another huge body of work, and I'm completely detached from the process. It's been incorporated into the totality in a different kind of way.
0: And that's what I was going to ask, is maybe how is the creation of your art different now than it was when you were in your 20s, before your journey?
1: When I was in my uh, 20s, I was the one doing the doing. It was all will, intelligence, and good intentions to the best of my ability. And, you know, and that's what failed. You can't get there from here. It's not the way. So how it's different now is it's in conversation with all other aspects of my life. I get up in the morning, get a phone call, and there's something stirring that piques my interest. I go out into the world, and I find an item that fits into place And the next thing I know, I'm creating something that's related to everything else going on in my life. And so there's a totality to the experience. It's not separate. I think earlier it was almost pathological. But that's the best you can do with what you have available as a young person. You can only be pathological. You can only do what you do and think you're the doer. You see this at all levels. I mean, I'm working with people who are hugely successful financially in every other way. And what I see is that the moment they turn and say, what a good boy am I, look what I've accomplished, their life comes undone. So that's not necessarily accomplishment. Even if they are able to save all their pennies and do what they do, you know, you come up against a place where you as the controller will fail. And that in that failure is your success. You know, it's a kind of necessary holy defeat. It's written into all spiritual traditions. You know, it's the Buddha before enlightenment when he, was going to either die of starvation or get enlightened. It's Christ before the cross. It's in all traditions, the place where you come up against that metaphoric death, and you may die here. You may not survive this moment. But what you find is if you can give yourself to it, there is where your life begins. And most of us don't. That's a simple fact. Most of us come with our efforts, and we stay there, and we dig in. It's like we play our little chess game with death, and we ultimately lose.
0: Well, this has just been fascinating uh, conversation, and uh, I appreciate your thoughts. Do you have any closing remarks, advice, or lessons, or suggestions you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: For me, it always comes down to the asking, the gentleness of the universe. I think it takes a lot for all of us. If any of us are going to live our full potential, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. But it basically comes down to something very simple, which is a humble conversation, a humble asking.
0: What do you ask for?
1: What do we basically want? We want love in the world. We want to do something good with our life. We want to be of service to our world. I mean, this is what most of us want. We get lost in the details sometimes, you know, money for its own sake or art for its own sake. But basically, I mean, how do you ask how to be the most beautiful human being possible and channel that which most wants to come into the world as a creative expression. I mean, we can word it any way we want to, but if the intent is high and we're doing the asking, and then have the courage to know we don't know how to get there. I mean, anybody who thinks they know where they're going is in trouble.
0: Yeah, it's like we make plans and God laughs. Well, I would really encourage people to visit Jerry's website, handsofalchemy.com. There's a lot of great interviews. You can see his art. You can find out more about his book, The Inspired Heart. It's a fun book to read because there's a lot of interesting stories in there, and it is very inspiring. And, Jerry, I just really want to thank you for your time and for being here, and I'll leave it at that unless you have any other final remarks.
1: No, thank you, Matt. Thank you very much, and thank you to your listeners or readers or however your media work. <laughs>